Welcome back, everybody, to the Spicy PL Pod. This is episode 18. I'm here with Big Joe Cap, Big Peachy Boy, and we've got James Vang and Mr. Sherman Ledford of Team Quest, Quest Nutrition, with us. Yeah, so um, we're happy to have Sherman on today. Uh, you know, Sherman's uh, been an influence in my powerlifting career pretty much since I started, and for anybody who doesn't know, you know, he uh, runs Quest Athletics and Nutrition. It's a very large uh equipment r- retailer in the southeast u.s and uh nationally sells uh nutritional supplements um if you visit their website which you can see behind sherman um sherman's been in the powerlifting game for a long time i'll say at least 40 years but maybe i'm a little off there um so what's up sherman what's going on Good to see y'all. <laughs> Good to see you. So, Sherman, I've had the pleasure of, of knowing you personally for the last um, 10 years and uh, visiting you a bunch of times and going to a bunch of meets with you. Um, the best is when we uh, visit you in Atlanta and do training weekends. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into powerlifting? Uh, probably back in uh, my college football days, I was at Jacksonville State for a little while. Kind of got my knee kind of folded back a couple times and decided to kind of let that go. So powerlifting was kind of like my next love and or just just actually just getting in the gym and just lifting iron. I just really enjoyed it since I've been in high school. So I was kind of the oddball guy that, that really trained hard in high school back then because not many people did. I just loved to lift and just get stronger and try to get bigger. And honestly, I when I was probably going into my second year at Jack State, um, I was trained with a guy that was a powerlifter at, at home. And um, I honestly, I can't even remember the guy's name, but I know he was an assistant strength coach at Vanderbilt. And um, he did some powerlifting and actually kind of showed me my first pair of archaic knee wraps, which I think if you stretch them too far, they explode. But um, it was it was it was a lot of fun just kind of learning from him and stuff. And that was probably back in uh, maybe the late 70s or early, early, early 80s. And then when I got to Jack State there, I uh, was involved in football for a little while and then kind of got out of it because just of a, kind of a knee issue. So, And then Billy Keel was a, a three-time collegiate national champion for um, USPF way back in the day. I mean, Billy had the uh, collegiate national deadlift record at 165 at 650 in a single and a skinny belt. So that dude was a badass. So Nice. And, um, you know, Billy was actually – uh, in the dorm I was in, and I knew him vaguely. I didn't really know him that much. I didn't really know his accolades and stuff like that because he really was kind of to himself. But um, he was asking some friends or something about wanting to get some training partners with him so he could train for collegiates and stuff. And somebody mentioned my name that I like to, you know, kind of bang some weights and stuff. <laughs> so he asked me if I wanted to kind of get in with him and they just asked me, say, I mean, will you show up? Or you know, I said, dude, just tell me when I'll be there. So and um, just started powerlifting at that point and just kind of did it competitively for around 10 years until I really got really wrapped up into my business and stuff like that and just life and stuff like that. And I mean, I enjoyed lifting and probably all the way to us from, oh, probably in my middle teens all the way. I mean, I competitively left probably in my mid thirties and then kind of just kind of let that down and started training people and coaching and stuff like that. So I just kind of kind of went off in that direction and was a USAPL state chair for almost 20 years. Uh, I went to a, a national event back in the, I think the late nineties or early two thousands and 
the, the guy that was the South Carolina State Chair was on the EC. His name was Dan Lark, and he was a good dude. And he actually suggested me to Larry about being the state chair for Georgia. So I spent $6,000 in equipment and put on my first meet. Nice. It was awesome. There was 17 <laughs> people there, baby. I mean, I don't have broke on that one. So that, that, that's kind of how we kind of got started and then just kind of grew from there and just and kind of started established Quest Nutrition back in the late 90s. And some of the things that I thought about that is the stigma was steroids, you know, and then just the people that were, you know, in that generation before, you know, that were before you know, the IPS baby started drug testing. And then I would say myself, the, the biggest event you know, in probably world history that changed the, you know, concept of steroids was 1988. And if you, it is good for you, but when Ben Johnson claimed out the bottom of his cup at running a 979 <laughs> in the Olympics, dude, that was, that was almost the start of the end. You know, and that was in 88. And by the time, you know, the early 90s started getting there, there was, you know, more stigma with it. And the thing about some of that is, and I don't want to get going too far in another direction, but realize this, too. Okay. There was eight people in that finals in 1988. Eight. Okay. Out of those eight guys, only one guy never got caught on drug tests. And mm -hmm. maybe it wasn't steroids. But there was one guy in that finals over about an eight-year period after that that didn't get popped. Mm -hmm. So it kind of tells you, you know, was Ben Johnson the devil? Oh, maybe not. You know, maybe he's the guy that, you know, didn't have the right chemist on his side to let him be able to get past the drug test. Or maybe he didn't give a damn. You know? yeah. Maybe he didn't care. He just hated Carl Lewis that damn bad, you know. So. <laughs> Was powerlifting back then similar? Like, was was it just a couple of guys got caught? Was it more pronounced usage back then? I, I mean, honestly, probably from the 70s all the way to the, I'm guessing about maybe the mid-90s or maybe even late 90s, you know, steroids were kind of like just involved and accepted. And, and, and it's, it's almost like pre-1988, pre-1988, steroids weren't looked at as the devil or, you know, something that's going to be, you know, make you the biggest cheater that's ever lived and all kind of stuff. Because if you did powerlifting pre-1990, you were involved in powerlifting, you, you probably were involved in taking steroids. I mean, it's just was what you did, you know, there wasn't a stigma to it. You could go to any doctor and the doctor would write you a script and you could go to the pharmacist, you could pick it up. And it was, it was easy. Now, some of the guys did it like that. Some of the guys didn't do it like that. Some of the guys got on the black market. It was cheaper. They didn't have to worry about it. They felt, you know, that they knew what they were doing well enough. I mean, did you ever take a liver profile? Did you ever take a blood, you know, thing to check yourself? You know, most guys not, you know. I, I feel like that that's kind of foolish not to do that, kind of check yourself. But steroids in themselves, Alex, I really feel like have a bad stigma because, you know, it, it was something that was so deeply embedded in the Olympics. And then, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've seen that documentary about that guy from Russia. That yeah. Icarus. Cyclist, yeah. You know, and, and I mean, good gracious, a lot of that. How, what year? I mean, how long ago was that? It wasn't in the 1990s. Nope. You know? I mean, no. it's, it's, it's just one of those things that, 
you know, how much do you want to win? You know, and some of these countries, they want to win everything and they'll do whatever they can do to win. So. so how does that relate, you know, how does that relate to to what you thought about powerlifting at the time when you were done competing? You said in 1993 was your last meet and you had some pretty good numbers at 242, which we looked up. But, um, you know, so who, is that part of what played into you wanting to start a powerlifting team and team quest and have your own supplements? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Uh, I think it goes in a, a couple different directions, but I, I trained some athletes back in. I mean, I've been training powerlifters, honest to God, since the early 80s. So, and I've had some really, really good guys that I've trained, you know, multi-time world champions. I don't know if you guys know who Curtis Leslie is, yep. but Curtis lived in the APF and won four APF world championships. The guy squatted over nine at, at 242. He squat, he, he benched close to six and pulled you know, mid, mid high sevens, you know, so, uh, that was kind of the first guy that I kind of went onto like a national circuit with and kind of was present and kind of helped him with his lifting and stuff like that. But, um, myself, I was not Curtis Leslie for sure, but you know, we had a good group of guys and, you know, we had Nick Busick, who was the guy that ran Mountaineer cup. That was a, a, a WWF wrestler back in the day. And me and him wrestled together for some years down here in the South and, I opened my business and kind of let that go. But some of the things about what you're asking, Cap, a lot of it is, you know, when the stigma started getting to the point to where, you know, you, you just didn't feel like that was the thing to do. And and when you get a little bit of money, you know, and you get a little bit of success and you have more things to lose in the fact of, okay, I had my own business. You know, I wanted to, you know, not put myself in a situation to where I was doing something that could put, me or my business or the my friends or whoever I hung out with in a bad situation. And I had friends do that. You know, I've had friends go to jail, you know, and, and that were dealing and stuff like that. Or no people. I, would, I don't know if I want to call them friends, but just people that I knew and stuff. And they just wouldn't let it down. And I had a new, younger kind of crew. You know, Ryan Golden was one of the guys to start off. I don't know if you know who Jeff Saturday is, but he was a four or five time all pro uh, center for the the Colts. the Colts. Yeah. I, I trained Jeff when he, his sister actually was my secretary. And Jeff went to the same high school that I went to. So the strength, the, the guy that's got me really started in lifting the very first time was my coach. It was the offensive line coach in high school. And he was a, a little sawed off dude. And he was just a bad mofo. I mean, he, he <laughs> was strong. And just, just a short little guy. But, and I mean, I remember watching him bench press with his feet up in the air, 315 or 300 for sets of five, like it was nothing. And dude didn't weigh 190 pounds, I know, you know. So that was impressive to me and that kind of something. But when we started kind of getting to the point to where I had some younger athletes getting in the sport and say the mid-90s, I was like, hey, let's, let's find a place where it's drug tested and we don't have to worry about it. And actually, you know, when the IPF switched from the USPF to the ADFPA, which is the USAPL, you know, that was a, a turning point as well. Because mm -hmm. when the IPF switched over to the USAPL, there was a lot of you know, USPF lifters that stayed with the USPF, but a lot of the lifters came over to the USAPL at the time. And I was just kind of like, well, this is where it's going. Let's get in. Let's, let's get this started. And then it got to the point where, you know, I've trained people for – for years and years and years and years and felt like I knew how to 
help people, you know, get stronger. But, you know, there's more to it than just going to the gym, working out. You know, there's recovery, there's your nutrition, there's your supplementation. And so many people just forget one of those key things, you know. And if you put it all together, you're going to probably be a bad man, you know. It's yep. just one of those things that some people are willing to put all that into it. And some people are not willing to put all that into it. I remember Caleb Williams living at my house and coming up for every one of his meals. And I had his plate sitting there for what he was going to eat when he was getting down to 132. I mean, it's that, <laughs> it was that strict, you know. I mean, yeah. it had to be. The guy went from 150 to 132 in a, in a matter of probably maybe four or five months. And dude, he squatted 600 pounds at 132. I mean, the dude was just one of the freakiest dudes that I've ever been around. And old James here, the Asian sensation here, he's he's chasing Caleb, and and I think he's gonna he's gonna get him here sometime soon. It's too bad that Caleb didn't stay in the sport and set it a little bit higher because he's gonna get caught pretty soon. So, <laughs> that, that in itself is another story, but I just felt like. You know, getting the guys, the younger group of guys that were in their either not teens or early 20s to go down the road that was kind of set, you know. Yeah. The USPF would not have broken away from the IPF or the IPF broke away from them. Maybe what we know as powerlifting today would be different because those guys were still doing things the way the world was doing it, you know. Everybody was trying to, you know, if you want to call it cheap, you know, you can call cheating, whatever you want to call it, but there's everybody, you know, in every country, and there's people that are going to do that. You know, it's, it's, it's just what it is because, you know, money drives stuff like that. And when if you're an Olympic athlete, you make a lot of money. And I'm not saying Michael Phelps was taking steroids. I don't think he has to, you know, but you, these weightlifters and, you know, some of the strength sports and stuff like that. If you don't think some of those guys are doing that. No, all the know, track ath- all the track athletes got busted a few years ago, and it's, you know. But, uh, yeah, I think that was what was attractive to me 12 years ago about doing collegiates, and I was like, oh, it's drug tested, and that's kind of just the road I wanted to go down, you know. So uh, I get what you're saying. But um, how does that, you know, in the late 90s, you, you had some young lifters, that were training with you. And I know, you know, the first edition of team quest had some really badass lifters we'll talk about, but, um, what year did you start coaching the, um, national team for equipped worlds? Uh, actually my first like national or, or excuse me, like international event. Well, I mean, national event. Oh my gosh. Well, you were the head coach uh, of the world team for a few years, right? For, I, I, I was a, a men's coach and then I was on the world games coaching staff and hold, hold on just a second i think we lost something here a second yeah the gopro the gopro you, you got me now <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you're good. good okay um but in 99 uh ryan golden got uh on the junior world team and that was one of the guys i had been training for a while ryan had a, a pretty good football career and then ended up having to lay football down because of a, a neck injury and actually got him uh and it actually the way he got tested was he was getting tested down at georgia southern you know for you know before the season started and on i think it was right hand i think it was he could squeeze like 30 pounds and on his left hand he could squeeze like 100 and something so there was like you know you got issues dude and ended up in his neck so i had a chiropractor that i went to was a power lifter for a long time Dr. Dwayne Fraze, and he got me hooked up with somebody down in, uh, I guess it was, 
Savannah or wherever where Georgia Southern is, and got right in there for a few months and got his neck kind of back to normal. But I was just like, dude, man, you can be a, a, a national champion powerlifter, dude. Let's let's just do it because I've been training him since like '94 when he was playing ball, you know. And I was just like, and then his brother Matt came in right behind him, and Matt was a good lifter too. I mean, the guys still have some. You know, Ryan had the, some national records back in the day in the bench. and one, Yeah, uh, I remember they were big benchers. Yeah, and, and, and actually, Ryan had the American record bench for a while, you know. And Matt was more of a, a three-lift kind of stud where each lift was really good. And that, that right there, that's, that's one of the reasons you're great. And that's one of the reasons James is great. And that's one of the reasons Matt was great. Is, you know, what makes people great? is or what makes a power lifter great in my opinion is to have three really good lifts mm-hmm. you know or even to the point to where you have people like if you want to get into like generations and stuff like that in my my opinion john cook is maybe the greatest power lifter that ever lived you know i mean you got to really look at it in time frame and did this guy lift in different contexts okay uh how about squatting 905 and knee wraps in, in 1972? <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, that there's people that wish they could do that, and there have been maybe a few guys to do that, but if you want to put it in really, really context, if, if you want to look at Mark Henry, which who is, in my opinion, one of the strongest dudes that ever walked the planet, you know, and then you want to look at, say, Ray Williams. Those, those, those guys are like, you know, the kind of guys that are in a, in a different realm, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're not 300 pounds. They're not 320 pounds. They're not 350 pounds. You know, these, these guys are 400 pound monsters that I don't think there's no way in the world that you should compare, compare somebody like that to, to somebody like Brian Siders. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, is that really what you're looking at? I mean, that that's like James here lifting against Gene Bell at 198. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. That's, that's BS. That ain't happening. So, so, but John Cook, back in 1972, weighing 320, squatted 905, and the people that were there that saw it was said it was deep and easy, and he was known to not squat maximal weights at a, an event so he could save something for his deadlift because he was, okay, how many times did he go to a meet and somebody out squatted? Zero. How many times did he probably go to a meet and somebody out deadlifted him? Zero. Zero. <laughs> okay. How many times did he go to a meet and somebody out missing? Maybe a handful of times? I yeah. mean, I talked to Gene Bell the other day and I was like, Gene, what makes people great is how many times have you went to an, a meet? And I'm not talking about not when, you know, I mean, you won, you know, 99% of the meets that you ever went to, like Lamar Gant did, like Mike Bridges did, like Brian Siders did, like John Cook did, and these guys don't have a weak lift. They don't have a weak lift. If you got a weak lift, you're you're going to be playing catch-up somewhere, or you better be next generation in two lifts. And that's, that's what Eddie is. Uh, and, I mean, Eddie is just – was a next-generation squatter and a next-generation deadlifter. Now, are there other guys now that are that are up to him? Is Bellio? Uh, I think so. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's, it's just, you know, over time now, did Eddie wear the equipment that some of these guys are wearing? You know, 
I talked to Gene and the other day, and I mean, my top few powerlifters, John Cook, Gene Bell, Mike Bridges, you know, those kind of guys. And some of the things that I really think about those kind of guys, they lifted in back in the day. Back in the day where drugs were just prevalent and nobody looked down on it. Okay. Who was the first lifter? Who was the first really recognized lifter to do something in the ADFPA? It, it was it was John Cook. Yeah. John Cook came back and lifted drug free in the ADFPA and pulled eight fifty five at two seventy five, which was the national record for I don't know how long. Maybe it probably still would be. If, if we, if I we think Mike didn't Mike right? break didn't Mike break that at some point and pulled eight fifty nine. Okay, and 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 how, how many years was that? Yeah, that you was know, like two thousand ten. So, <laughs> and, and I think it is, it's, and and, and, and uh, on top of that, I believe that Cook was a master at the time. Yeah, a master lifter. You know, I mean, these guys like like Gene, he he lifted and drug tested. Events with in the USAPL when the USAPL took over, he he was one of the only guys that was in the top tier of those lifters that kind of came with the USAPL. I mean, Gillingham, uh, Wade, Gene, uh, just a handful of people that were really like high, high, high level. You know, came over to the USAPL and or, or the ADFPA when John Cook came to the ADFPA before they were even the USAPL. And, and did it in a way of drug testing, you know, it, in, you know, and I'll, I'll probably beat a dead horse, but, um, I, and I always go back to, you know, 1972 when John Cook went 905, 600, missed a 610. And then get this guys. Okay. Back in the day, the lifting the bar went up one time. We, we don't, we didn't have, you know, do a set of squats yeah. and then everybody do it. Those that, you know, and, and they have your multiple attempts after a 20-minute rest. John Cook was pulling behind himself when he was deadlifting because nobody was deadlifting with him. Yeah. So he pulls 845, <laughs> and in three minutes, he's trying to pull 875 and pulls it to his knees. That's yeah. a bad man right there, dude. Yeah. Tell me somebody that can do that today. You know, I couldn't. I need the, I would need the round system. There's no way I would last in an ascending bar meet, you know, equipped squatting. You know how I like my wraps, you know, (laughs) it takes time. How many people in 1972 do you think squatted 900 pounds? Uh, One. (laughs) uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's good. So, I mean, obviously I think you're saying John Cook and Gene Bell are, up there pretty much as your strongest lifters of all time one of the favorite stories you ever told me i think is that 1988 or 89 uspf nationals where gene bell was squatting against jesse kellum do you remember that story that's that's one that's one of the greatest stories of all time okay gene gene had been lifting in the in the ipf for for years and jesse kellum was just dominating the APF. I mean, they were, he was just crushing everybody. And he and Jesse was a hell of a squatter. And, and I mean, it, it was something that something to really see. And, I, and I'll start this by saying I was there with Curtis Leslie and um, there were some big monsters up in that place. And there were some bad dudes up in there for sure. But um, I came in and I sat in the back and I was just kind of just hanging out watching a little bit of the lighter lifting and stuff like that. 
And I noticed a guy sitting in a chair, maybe about three rows up, in some red sweats. And, and I was just like, who the hell is that? And I mean, because <laughs> the dude, the sweep, the sweep on that dude's thighs down by his knees were something I hadn't seen before. I mean, it, to cap, it looked like your shoulders down by his knees. <laughs> I mean, it was just freakish. And I, I didn't know who he was because I, I didn't, well, I was behind him and couldn't see his face. But I was like, oh, my God, who is that? And it was Gene. And he just happened to show up and was like, going to give these guys an ass whipping. So I was just like, man, this is going to be pretty cool. So you probably don't know the whole part of it, but Pat Person was a bad dude back in the day too. And those three guys went head to head in the squats. And um, they, every one of them attempted the world record that day. And it, it was just something that, you know, it was just to watch that, and those guys go at it like that. And I, I think that Jesse was the first to try it. And, I mean, I'm not saying anything bad, but he got crushed. <laughs> and then um, Pat Person, he ended up with the highest squat. I think Pat Person actually ended up with the highest squat. I think he squatted 826. And Gene squatted 804. And then they all attempted 859. So I'm, I'm sitting up, you know, kind of back in the back and stuff and kind of hoot hollering just a little bit. You know, I wouldn't really know any of those guys personally, but. Gene walks out his first couple of attempts, you know, he just real stoic, you know, just kind of come out there, just kind of mental and stuff and just freaking just crush it. I mean, it's just like, oh, shit, you know, this is something I haven't seen. So he comes up and, you know, here comes his 859 attempt and he comes up and he grabs the bar with one hand and the crowd's kind of hushed and he just raises his fist up and goes, come on. And dude, I almost broke a chair. You know, I, mean, I, was, I was losing my freaking mind. I was, I was going insane. And I mean, the whole crowd just stood up and was just going nuts. So, and I mean, he walked that out like it was freaking 405. That that was one of the most impressive things is he just, and I was like, oh, shit. And I, so, and I mean, it was just like, woo. And I was like, oh, my God. And you know, I'm getting down two to one on depth. But dude, it was it, it was it was parallel for sure, and I, I thought it was good when I saw it. But it was pretty crazy. But after the squats, it was over. I mean, <laughs> he totaled like twenty one fifty something. All them other guys, you know, totaled a little bit over two thousand or something. Yeah. He just humiliated them dudes. It was ridiculous. So Gene was, is Gene is one bad. of the baddest men of all time. So I mean, it, it crazy. Yeah, so I don't know. This is definitely one of the questions we wanted to ask you: is what's the best powerlifting performance you've ever seen in person? And you know, we haven't even gotten into it yet. But you've personally coached Brian Siders, Caleb Williams. You've seen Tony Harris lift, David Ricks, Preston Turner. You know what? What's the most impressive one day performance you've ever seen from a powerlifter? You know, honestly, that I was kind of just like involved with every lift. You know, I, it's it's going to have to be the 2007 American Open. So, um, I think it was 2005, something like that. Um, I talked to the uh, IPF president. Uh, gosh, I'm having a no, no, it was before him. I'm having a brain. Yeah, it was here. a German guy. But, I can't uh, remember his name. Can't remember his name, but Brian wanted to lift at Mountaineer Cup, and uh, we kind of talked, and Eddie was supposed to lift there, and. 
kind of got, you know, semi-approval with that. And Brian lifted. It was just kind of a, a little mix-up in the stuff because it was set up, you know, guests, blah, blah, blah. I can't, I could go into that and just get pissed as hell. But um, end up getting suspended, you know, for, you know, lifting in a meet where, with a suspended lifter. And um, I protested and sent, you know, things to the, governing body or the disciplinary committee got help with Peter Thorne on the stuff, but it just ended up being a mess. But Brian just kind of went, uh, I guess, underground, I guess you could say, and did some strongman stuff and, and just really just kind of went and made himself stronger. It was, it was, it was insane. And, um, so he had a, over a year, year and a half or whatever, just kind of trained and it ended up being just, we were going to go to the American open and kind of hit, you know, his first meet back. So, um, and I'll never forget as long as I live, you know, as long as I've still got my mental function, him warming up. Because Brian, you know, until he got to 800 pounds, dude, I mean, his squats are like this high. You know, it was just, he had to have 900 pounds in his back or, you know, mid eights to, to get close to parallel. And he was there, and Doug Currents was one of his training partners. Me and Doug were real close. Um, and Doug just kept telling me, Brian's as strong as he's ever been. Brian's as strong as he's ever been. Brian is it's crazy how strong Brian is. And I mean, I had seen maybe a few videos. Brian wasn't the person to send me a thousand videos like Wade Hooper did over the past or Tony Cardella or a half a dozen other people, Caleb Williams, whoever it might be. So, um, but we got there and I, and I think he opened up with like uh, 920 or something like that. But in the warm-up room, he was warming up and he got to 600 and I mean, he was at parallel at 600 and I, I, my, my, my head almost blew off my body. I was just like, what the, I mean, it, I was just dumbfounded and he turns around and looks at me and goes, how'd you like that? I was like, Oh my God. And I just, I wish so bad that I knew what I knew after the meet before the meet started, because if we had, a, there'd have been some changes made. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that, that Brian would have lifted at least a hundred more pounds than what he did that day, at least that much. But he opens up like 920, something like that. And then he goes somewhere around 960 and just vaporizes it. And I mean, <laughs> deep, just the bars coming off his back at the top like this. Yeah, like, that shit. I oh, watched the videos. Shit. That bar was like a, it was like an old power bar. It wasn't a stiff bar and, like we use now. And, and honestly, it was an it was an older Avanco bar, and they did have a little bit more. It was a twenty eight millimeter bar mm -hmm. back in the day, actually. But that was the bar that almost everybody lifted in for about six or seven years in America because that was a bar that wasn't just crazy expensive, and Alico wasn't involved yet, so. Everybody was, you know, going with the Abanco bar. So, um, but he comes up with 960, and I'm just like, oh my god! And the, uh, the world record at the time was, I, I'm 99.9 percent .9 sure it was Shane Hammond's 1,008, mm -hmm. and yeah, we took 1,003, and Brian came up with it, and I was just like, oh shit! And honest to God, he came up so hard with it and the bar whipped so bad it made him take a step back i've seen the video it's like he jumps with the bar and and, and it was just when when brian came up he would actually kind of push it with his with his basically his shoulders and that dude had herculean shoulders i mean when he went to the arnold 
strong man. The first time he ever went there, he, he broke the world record in that uh, axle lift that's got the metal wheel. Yeah, he the Apollon's axle. Record. Yeah. The first time he ever went there, Zadrunas had the world record. And Siders, the first time he ever goes to the event, breaks the world record. That tells you what kind of shoulder strength Siders had. It was inhuman. So, um, <laughs> but he goes 1,003 and just obliterates it and doesn't get it because he takes a step back, and that was heartbreaking. And honest to God, right before he went out to that, this is kind of like a little side note, but he was, uh, you know, some people are real, like, you know, just focused, mental. I would say genes like that. I would say Caleb's like that. You know, they're just, you're, they're, you, ain't, you ain't got to scream and holler and smack them and all this kind of stuff. But Brian, God almighty, he would come up and headbutt me. And I swear to God, I felt like my head was going to explode before he came to the platform <laughs> on that one. It, was, it felt like my head, when he hit my head, it, it was almost like <laughs> like glass breaking. And I was like, holy shit. He about knocked me out. And I was kind of trying to regain my consciousness to come out there and, and see it. But we went onto the bench and he, uh, I don't know if he was like seven, some, some low sevens. Went to like 750 or something like that, and then went 777, I think it was, and looked like he could have done it for three. I mean, it was just stupid. I mean, the bar moved so fast that it was like it almost came out of his hands. You know, I was just like, oh, shit. So we opened up, uh, I think, like mid-sevens or high-sevens or, you know, 770-ish or something like that on the deadlift. And he just kills that. And I don't remember what his second attempt was, maybe 20-something, something like that. And then um, Brian was always kind of really, really was a historian. And I, I really had an appreciation for that. And that made me do a lot of research. And I and I, I, I did anyway. And I feel like I've always kind of been in touch with, you know, powerlifting history and the who did what and this and that. And, I mean, the first time we broke Kaz Meyer's record, that was a big thing. And I remember we went to Wooden Worlds, and I was like, we always thinking in our minds, or I was trying to give Brian food to fire him up, you know. And I remember Wooden Worlds, I was like, all right, Brian, we're going to go this weight, the last deadlift, and we're going to total 100 pounds more than Kaz. And you could just see a light going off in his eyes, you know. He's like, hell yeah, that's what we're going to do, you know. <laughs> so we got to that point, and I was doing, had my calculator out, and like, God dang, 2,600 is not far away. I was like, and Brian had never deadlifted, I don't think, over 840 or something like that. And, I mean, he had he always had a good deadlift, but it wasn't just like Gillingham's, you know, kind of deadlift, kind of freakish kind of stuff or something. So, um, I'm like, 865, that's what it is, 865. And I'll go to Brian, and I was like, Brian, 2601, 865. And, and it's, it's, it's just like, you know, somebody gives you a shot of adrenaline, you know. And I mean, you can see that video, and I'm sure you've seen it, dude. It looks like he could have damn he near smoked close it. Pulled, I yeah. mean, he, it looked like he could maybe have pulled close to 900, you know. So yeah. I mean, it, it was just everything that he touched that day, he annihilated. You know, it, it was just it was crazy. Now, I think honestly, you know, he could have squatted a thousand thirty. I think he could have benched eight ten, and I think he could have pulled probably. Anywhere 886 to 892. And I'm not talking about that's every ounce that he could have mustered. You know, I I think he would have handled those weights. And that would have been over 2,700. So it's just, it's it's one of those things that people don't have concept nowadays. And 
Okay, look at this as well, and the fact of how people are generational, you know, lifters. Okay, John Cook, I'll go back to that. Dude, the guy was lifting in 1972 in a singlet, a skinny belt. He raw bench 600. He raw deadlifted 870 at 242. Um, and, and then, you know, he had a little bit of gear as he as he went on into the ADFPA and stuff like that. But I know the gear he was lifting in. I actually had, honest to God, this is a true story. I had a, a suit that was made for him for one of his ADFPA meets, and it wasn't big enough. And I, don't, I swear to God, I don't know who I got that from, but it was made, and it, it was too small, and I ended up getting it. And, and dude, that suit was like, from today to then, I, it's just like, dude, what is this? You it's know, like this the singlets we wear night. now. <laughs> and it's just, it's just freaking crazy. It was just, it was like nothing, you know? And Brian went over and lifted raw too, you know? I mean, he's in the top 10 all the time in, you know, uh, two super heavyweight stuff in St. Lapoix. And I mean, go look at what his raw numbers were. I've seen Brian at the Arnold do two days of strongman. Two days of strongman, Friday and Saturday, and win five grand because he placed like fourth, I think it was, or something like that. And he did that on the side. It wasn't like he was a full-time strongman like these other guys were and went around the world doing stuff. He did it once a year in, in you know in his backyard almost, you know, and he enjoyed it and he enjoyed those guys and stuff. He parties with those guys, and Brian wasn't a big partier. I'm not saying that, you know, he got you know, filthy drunk because he just wasn't like that. But he stays up all night, Saturday night with those guys. Don't go to bed. Then he comes to the Enzer booth and does a bench ex bench, bench exposition. I can't even read it. Exhibition. There you go. So what are you doing over there? <laughs> so, <laughs> you got to help me. <laughs> um, so after that, no sleep. He comes in. And starts warming up, takes 500. It moves like I could do 225 back in the day. So it goes, I think, 550 for a couple. Then um, he says, I'm going to do 600 for a trip. Some freaking retard <laughs> in the damn audience. Do it for five! I almost came across the damn rope and knocked that some bitch out. I, I was like, yes. <laughs> well, so, I've seen this so video. He, he ends up doing 600 for four, and you pull him back in yeah. the rack. And I, I had to pull it back in the rack because he was going to do it. I was like, we ain't doing this for this fool. <laughs> you know, you know what we're going to do. So, but I mean, he just vaporizes, you know, 600 for some reps. And I jerk it back in the rack and he's looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm just like, I'm saving you a freaking peck blowout. You know, it's like, we're not here for these fools, you know? So, but we have a lot of fun. And I mean, that that's probably one of the most historical things. And then if I had to say a competition that, I saw as well, but what involved in would probably be 2004 uh, in, gosh, might have, was it South Africa? Might have been South Africa. 132, all, let's see, all three of those guys, first, second, third, broke the world record total. It was Satrizno, who was one of the baddest dudes I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I think it was or something. And, and then that team guy from China, Taipei. And those guys, you know, but I think every one of them wilts six ten or better. Yeah. You know, it, it was it was it was freaking crazy. And the guy that actually won was the Russian guy, but his last squat was high, 
he, <laughs> made, he did cause his last bench. And that's also when, oh, I think, I'm 90% sure that's when, you good, Jay? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm 90% sure, or about 99% sure, that's when Oleg squatted that world record at um, 148, and it was high, too. So... I got a story about that if you want to hear that. <laughs> well, well, it's funny because uh, the Russians, uh, the Russians always talk about how Oleg squats, squats are high, and they get passed. Oh, yeah, yeah, but the Russian squats are high too. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I got a little story about Mr. Oleg. Well, just to just to finish talking about Brian, like you know that that meet American Open that he did twenty six oh one, which was unheard of back then. That was in two thousand seven. The fall of two thousand seven is when I met. Not when I, I I was already friends with Big Mike for a year, but then I started I decided to compete in powerlifting, and that's one of the first things I ever saw, and uh, was a video of Brian at the American Open, and I said I want to be like Brian Siders, <laughs> and so when I met you in 2010 and I saw your Quest T-shirt, I was like, I put two and two together. I was like, oh my god, this guy knows Brian Siders. <laughs> so, I mean, he's always been my favorite, and I think he's probably one of the best powerlifters of all time and least recognized. Like, do you think that his career was cut too short by injuries or, or other things? Or do you think he had more to do? Well, honestly, there's, there's a few things and I love Brian. I love Brian, but, and I think that anybody that's great or generationally great, like I think Brian was, and there's people that come around that are generation, generationally great. You know, I, John Cook was generationally great. Mike Bridges was generationally great. Dean Bell was generationally great. Ed Cohen was generationally great. Brian Siders was generationally great. Caleb could have been generationally great if he had stayed in the sport. Um, but some of the stuff is just, you know, people being a little bit hard-headed, you know, and, you know, and I, I'm not saying that I'm, you know, you know, the all being, knowing everything, but there's times where I've told people, even you, you know, you need to change some things and, need to make more lifts and you know mm-hmm. you need to focus on this and that and sometimes people don't do that and you go to world championships and you bomb out and that's some sad shit you know and brian was like that to the point of you know trying to always run on the edge and i feel like that kind of beating in the ass a couple times just like in denver uh and i can't remember the year he squatted a world record like yeah, I remember because I was there. It was um, 2008 men's nationals. And then I'm back in the back. I am back in the back pleading with his ass to pull his bench press shirt up some. And you yep. know, just kind of pull it up, pull it up some. Cause I, and Doug was back there playing. He ain't going to touch, you know. And, and I was trying to grab his shirt and he was pushing my hand away. And what do you do? out and he bombed out yeah he bombed out that was you know there goes a world record and dude when that happened i literally i'm not bullshitting i cried because that hurt me well the sad part of that was that that was uh 2008 and you know he you know so he didn't get to go to 2008 worlds which was the qualifier for 2009 world games so you know i thought brian brian at least it's sad how he didn't win World Games in 2005, but he definitely would have won in 2009 if he got the chance. But unfortunately, he didn't. I, I bet that there's there's so many things that you know over time and stuff like that that you know Brian. I, I really honestly think that with the equipment that he had at the time, you know, 
And I, I, I personally think those gripper knee wraps are another level, you know. And, you know, some people love them, some people don't. I hate wrapping somebody's knees with them some of bitches because they'll rip your fingernails off. <laughs> That's oh, me too. Got, That's me too, Sherman. <laughs> I, I hate wrapping them damn I, things too. I, I love peach. I love peach. <laughs> but, I mean, if he's with me, I feel good. So, but, you know, there, there's little things that, you know, and I mean, the shirts that Brian wore, you know, he was one of the best technicians with a shirt that I've ever seen in my life. Even the fact of just coming up with stuff that nobody had ever done before. I, 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 he put it on, I'd be like, what the hell? You know, and he would just have it on different than anybody else would wear it. But also, too, you know, who was benching 600 for four raw? Well, he could do that crazy shit. Yeah. You know, because he was so freaking strong, you know, that, you know, it was just craziness that the weight that he could handle. And I don't know if you know, Cap, but Brian did a, uh, maybe one multi uh bench press contest in California. I time. know he and did. I honestly, I honestly, God, don't know what he, I can't remember what happened with that or something, but I do know the first time that he put a double ply shirt on, he benched 900 pounds in the gym. Yeah, I he think benched he benched like 838 at that meet, and then he went for like 859, and he popped it up, and then like it fell down like it looked like he was going for a second rep, but the spotters took it. You know how sometimes he had problems just like holding it, but he yeah. benched some shit in the mid eights, and uh, I think like Ryan Keneally was there and stuff, and it was crazy. But, but I mean, the, the kind of stuff that I feel like Ryan could have done, and, and his his goal. Let, let me ask you this. And, and I'll ask everybody that's here. Um, has there ever been anybody hold a world record in, in all three lifts in any weight class ever in the history of powerlifting? I don't know. Probably not. Well, okay. probably probably Fedosenko. Fedosenko. I'll yeah. Okay. Let's, let's go before him. Uh, I wouldn't know. But Fedosenko okay. comes to mind and, and Bonica comes to mind. Okay. Bonica um, doesn't have the bench. The, the first no. person to do it, and the only person to do it for like four decades, was Lamar Gant. Mm-hmm. Okay, he had the world record squad, he had the world record bench, he had the world mm-hmm. record deadlift. Brian, Brian knew that. Mm-hmm. Brian, Brian was historian, and he he knew what the people before him did, and that that's what I detest about you know powerlifting today. You know, I, I love powerlifting because it's just badass. I love powerlifting because I love the guys that are involved in it, like you and James and countless other people. You know, you just have relationships that you're going to have the rest of your life and stuff. But people just don't know the history of powerlifting. And, and to be around somebody like Brian that just, I mean, his goal, his lifetime goal was to have the world record in every lift. He wanted the world record in every lift. Mm-hmm. And at a time, he had the world record squat, the world record bench, and a world record total, you know. And... The 903 that Henry did, weighing 420, you know, <laughs> you know, Brian pulled 865, and I think that day he could have pulled, good God Almighty, I, I don't know if it had been like, okay, Brian, we're going to go 20, say Brian had, say I knew what was going to go on, we would have raised his opener up, his open squad at probably like 940, then we would have went like 990-something, then we would have went 1,030, we would have benched 810, then we'd have been all over 2,700 and be like, Brian, let's just put 886 on there and let you take a toke at it. I think he would have crushed it. Yeah. You know, so. 
Sherman, uh, one of the things that we looked at a couple weeks ago on the podcast was who's the GOAT. And uh, there are only two lifters who were in the top 10 in terms of Wilkes um, in their respective class. Uh, and that was Ed Cohen and Brian Siders. And, uh, you know, for guys who were not them, they'd set those records within the past, like, two or three years. But Siders was from, like, 12 years ago, and Ed Cohen's was from, like, 15, 20 years ago. So it just, like, brings out how great Brian was. He still has, like, a top 10 total in terms of Wilkes in equipment that doesn't compare to the equipment now, you know? Yeah, he was the only guy in the top 10 that hadn't lifted in the past decade. You know what I mean? That, that, that kind of tells you that, like I'm saying, like generational people, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, and, and I want to say something else, too, specifically. Specifically. And this is really going to maybe knock a hole in a lot of people's thinking about who is the GOAT and who is the greatest and who should be in that realm or who should be in that conversation. Okay. Um, tell, I mean, and this is something that's not kind of, um, looked at like it should be. Okay. Tell me, okay, let, let's go back in history. Let's, let, let's, let's go back 40 years. Let's just, let's just do that or 30 years. Okay. Um, you have guys and, and, I, and dude, I am, when I, when I say this, I'm really not trying to down anybody. I, I'm really not, I'm not trying to do that i'm just being historical and just giving you you know something to think about really to really think about um where did some of these all-time lifts happen okay uh don reinhold told of 24 25 in some backyard meet in georgia somewhere or something like that now was that dude a bad man hell yeah he was a bad man but i think his total the best total he ever had at Worlds compared to that backyard meet was, you know, over a hundred pounds less, you know, over a hundred pounds less, you know, yep. what, what's up with that? You know, and I, and I, and I, I, like I say, I mean, Don Reinhold, I think he squatted 900 raw, you know, of, you know, years, years and years and years ago, you know, um, but John Cook, where, where did John Cook in 1972 tell me this? Where was he when he went twenty three fifty at three and weighing three twenty two and he went twenty three fifty? Where did where did he do it? We don't know. He did it at the freaking World Championships. Yeah. He didn't do it at the Aspen Open. You know, yeah. I mean that's just crap. You know, and you, it it took probably fifteen years before somebody broke his total record at twenty three fifty. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at a world championship. You know what Kaz's best total was uh, at, at, at a world's? His 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 record total, Reinhold went 24-20. Kaz went 24-25. You know where you know we know what Kaz's best total was at worlds at a world's? No. Less than twenty three hundred. Yeah. Well Less I did see that video where he was he was like the one world that he, he did well there was a world's he won and it was somewhere overseas, but it seemed like he was injured, right? I think he tore his pet doing some strong man yeah. and maybe won the worlds after that. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was something that I don't think he benched more than five fifty maybe after he tore his pet, bending one of those damn rods around his neck and shit. You know? but, <laughs> but I mean, Brian, Brian went to world championships. He went to freaking world championships with legit, legit 
judging, you know, and go anybody that can find the videos of the 2007, you know, American Open, you know, that it national referees, national meet, and tell me that you know his squat wasn't good, or tell me his deadlift wasn't good. Yeah, you know, you know, it's it's just bullshit. I think you during know, that. Some, some of the, yeah, I think during that time in the early 2000s, like that was when IPF judging was maybe the strictest as far as squat depth. And then for a guy like Brian, he had a lot of really great benches turned down because of the way the bench was judged with the belly bench, which well, now we don't have to deal with anymore. Even more than that, though, Cap, even more than that, you can go back, um, I think it was like 2003, I think it was, where Brian opened up. Now, this is a world championship, a world championship. He opens up with a world record on bench, opens up with it. Mm-hmm. And, and it was like 720-something and just annihilates it. Then he goes like 749 or something like that. It looks like freaking 225. <laughs> then he goes 771 or something like that. Three world record attempts at a world championship. Mm-hmm. At a world championship, not the Augusta Open. Or the Tampa Bay, you know, whatever. You know, you're at a world championship, and he's attempting three world record benches in a row. And the reason he missed his third bench, it would be good today. He had a little bit of uneven extension. Yeah. You know, mm. the, the rules were so strict back then. You couldn't move your feet. Your foot feet had to be flat. You know, you, you couldn't belly bench. And I mean, if Brian could have belly bench, add add seventy pounds. Yeah, hundred percent. Add seventy pounds to it. Because that, that's what would have happened, you know. <laughs> and Brian had an arch that you would you you don't really see with many people in that size of human being. Well, I remember, yeah, he used to put a football under his back and bench, and he I was used like, to have a six-inch pipe that he carried with him all the time. Yeah, and he put it on while he was warming up. He, while he was warming up, he had that pipe under his back, you know. And <laughs> it was just like, you know, he would do what he needed. He was a technician. You know, it's just one of those things that, and and the reason that Brian got out of power, out of the IPF, you know why, Joe? Mm. I don't. Okay, here's the reason. And and this, I mean, I've heard it come out of his mouth, and and I've heard generational lifters just, you know, say, "Gosh, mighty Brian, you know, you know, it really doesn't matter. You can just go back and do it again." Brian spent six years of his life, six years of his life in the powerlifting and gave up, you know, just stuff that people can't comprehend, you know, just just life stuff, family stuff, just things that people can't comprehend for somebody to do what he did in that time at frame and stuff like that. When the IPF decided to change the weight classes and strip all the records and start all over again, he was like, not, not me. Not he was me. pissed, yeah. You know, it, 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 I'm done. You know, I spent six years. Okay, you want to change the weight class? Tell, tell me this. Is super heavyweight still super heavyweight? What the F is that? You know, I don't give a damn if you're, you know, 275 was a, you know, weight class back in that. Now it's 265. If you're over 265 or you're over 275, that's still super heavyweight, right? Brian was a super heavyweight, right? What, 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 what is, what's that? You know, and the people that had the world records at 181, 
Why does it have the world records at 183? You know, what? what's up with that? Yeah. You know, I mean, they just tried to, they just flushed. What IPF did is they flushed the history. They flushed the history. Mm-hmm. And that that's criminal. And when they flushed the history on Brian Siders, dude, he's done. Mm-hmm. He was done. Yeah, we we've had we've had this kind of debate in the past, but um, I guess like how would you how would you think things would go down if Brian and Blaine were going head to head in in both their heydays? You think you going with Brian? Okay, now you, you got to look at at a few different things, and and I think that Blaine is you know got a squat that's that's it's pretty crazy, you know, and okay. Uh, I'd have to go back and look, honestly. Uh, and then, dude, man, I think Blaine's great. I do. And I, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. And I know he's done some pretty pretty crazy lifts at Worlds. But mm-hmm. one of the eyesores for powerlifting, and, and I'm involved in this myself, uh, I, I was the person that uh, was the first money meet at the Arnold. In, in 2008, it was the Quest American Invitational. I was the person that Larry Maley called me in 2007 and said, Sherman, will you move your meat to uh, Arnold? And I was like, yeah. Um, and on a side note on this, this is probably this, something that's probably not known very well. And Cap, you're probably going to get a gun and shoot me when I say this. <laughs> um, what was the first legitimate raw meat ever? You know, like big time raw meat. What was it? I feel like it was raw unity. Well, well, I'm talking about. Well, I mean that that that, that in itself, but I'm talking about in the USAPL. It's the Arnold. It was the Arnold. Yeah, they did a raw. Okay, and and they, and they didn't even have really raw competitions at all before then. Mm-hmm. They didn't have raw competitions in the USAPL until 2008. And Larry calls me on the phone and says. Will you move your meat up to the Arnold? I'm like, yeah, we can we can do that. I, I, I'd be great, you know. And he goes, um, we we also need to have something to feel Friday. We've got the bench, we've got the deadlift, and I was like, I saw how and it, and raw lifting really kind of started down in the southeast in Florida and the Carolinas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Larry, you might think about doing a raw meet because you know it's starting to get pretty popular. So <laughs> I was the person. Damn, Sherman. That Sorry, man. So, <laughs> He's the godfather. That's what I said, man. Yeah, yeah get, get me something and choke. So, <laughs> but, uh, that in itself, but but okay, who, who did the qualifications for all of that stuff? Yeah. Well, I, I know I, I know heard, Raw Unity was big back then, and it was in Florida. It was like in Tampa every year. Yeah. 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 Well, in two thousand seven, when I put all those all the uh, the Western American invitation together. I put it off Wilkes scores, and that's the way everything should be done. I don't this the changing stuff. F that. That's just <laughs> you know it should be Wilkes. People should know what the hell a Wilkes is. They should be able to know what their Wilkes is and judge themselves on their Wilkes. Period. That's the way it should be done forever and ever in eternity. But I, I was the person that brought up the qualifications for the raw meet too. I said let's go 400 Wilkes. I put mm-hmm. some stuff in the calculator, came up bet. I said 400 Wilkes. That's what it is, Priscilla. So. That's what they started. I was the person that initiated it. What the qualifications was for both, and then it exploded from there. But well, I got off hand. Well, yeah, we were talking about we were talking about Blaine and Brian. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Um, let's uh, and Alex, you asked that question, right? Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, and I, I'm going to give it to you probably pretty simple. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be pretty simple. Um, and, 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 I'm, and, dude, I'm not trying to insult you or, or anybody. Don't think that I am. <laughs> um, put, put the same gear on and take the, take the gear off. Okay. If, if you took the gear off, who, who wins, Alex? Probably Brian. Brian. No, probably bullshit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll put it this way. I know Blaine benches mid to high fives, which, you know, if we're talking apples to apples at Brian's best, we know he benched 650. Um, and I know the deadlift just isn't even close. Yeah. So no. yeah. the squat is probably fairly comparable because Blaine close. did squat uh, 440 or 903. If, 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 if Brian back in the day had worked his squat wall for two years, he was squatted over nine, easy. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind, you know. And okay, so you you look at it in that context, okay, and then you can look at it in you know different gear and stuff like that. But okay, let's let's look. Go back and look that that uh, open powerlifting website that's got all the mm-hmm. uh, generational stuff and stuff like that. See where Brian's at raw, and see where he's at geared and single plot. See where Blaine's at raw, and see where he has that in gear. Just take those two numbers out and get them by by two, and that's your answer. Yeah. You know? So it, it's, <laughs> it's pretty easy. So, yeah. And, and I mean that that in itself, you know, me, I don't think that if Brian is given a scenario of okay, let's look at it like this too. And dude, I'm I'm kind of a track freak, so you'll have to bear with me. Maybe occasionally when I bring up track stuff like I just brought up in 88 and stuff like that. Um, and, and I'm going to just make this super, super quick and I ask each one of you, who, who do you think is the best 100-meter runner in ever and take out you take out Insane Bolton? <laughs> oh, that's, that's like the only guy I know. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> that's okay. That's fine. Uh, but, but there was some, some guys, and, and my guys back generational would be like Bob Hayes. Okay, and and this is where I'm going to go with this. Okay, Bob Hayes back in the early '60s would, would was the fastest person that's ever was ever on planet Earth, all the way up to in the point of Usain Bolt. You know, and I and, and me personally, I think if they were put together, it was it's going to be close. You, you don't know that, but Bob Hayes was a football player, and he didn't really train track. The president of the United States had to call the football coach at, at Florida A&M to get him to be able to train for the Olympics. That's how little bit of time that he got to train for the Olympics. Okay. In 1964, he runs a, a 9-1, or no, excuse me, I'll pass the 100 yards. He runs a 10 flat, 100 meters, and nobody else is in the picture. It, it's just that bad. Okay. Um, then... They're, they're coming out for the 4 by 400 And I hope, I hope this is not going way far off. I'm sorry. But um, I love track. That's um, all right. They're running out by the 4 by 400 And the Italian team tells one of the American guys and says, hey, we're going to smoke y'all fools. And he's like, what? He said, all y'all got is haze. He said, that's all y'all got. So <laughs> Italian guys are blocks, crazy. <laughs> they get in the blocks, and they take off. And haze is in the, the last leg, okay? Um. He gets the baton. He's in sixth place. He's in sixth place. And he's probably four or five meters behind 
He's either six or seventh place. I'd have to kind of go back and look at that. And he gets the baton. He passes, I think it was past six guys, and beat everybody by two meters. Holy shit. He beat everybody by two meters. And you know what people used to say back then about him? Was all he did was run as fast as he needed to run to win. Yeah. You know, he go to a competition, and he just ran as fast as he needed to do to win. And you got to look at Brian in the fact that the same way, Brian didn't have any competition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brian didn't have any competition. And Cap, that's one of the reasons that Brian did Strongman. Because when he did Strongman, because he had competition. He had somebody that really would push him. And that's one of the reasons that he was good at power threes was. Man, it helped his deadlift tremendously. You're telling me you give Brian competition, where would he have been? Yeah. If he'd have had somebody that would have pushed him, where would he have been? Well, I think it that's the problem. Been. That's the problem with Mark Henry too. Is that everything oh, was yeah. he was so far ahead of his time, you know, that there was no there was no really point for him to keep powerlifting, you know. Um, yeah, money on top of it. I mean, you go to the WWF and make a lot of money, and that's what he did. And Mark Henry's a great dude. I've met him. He's awesome. I seen him lift when he was a teenager. Yeah, it was freaking incredible. You know. So. Yeah. So we've been going for about an hour, but I definitely want to fit in. Um, if you have some stories about Caleb and Oleg. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see the best one. Let's see. Caleb. Uh, and this, this is heartbreaking right here. Um, we were really trying to put a team together. And we, we Back in the day, I, I would be kind of responsible or take responsibility to try to find the best guys and recruit them. And I was just trying my best. And I don't know if that's done anymore because I think there's some lifters out there. You know, I, I don't know. If I was still a world team coach, you know, I would have Austin Ruska on the freaking team. Or or I'd be at the guy's freaking door or something. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, why the hell is he not? You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, when I was the coach, I just felt like it was my responsibility to go out and recruit. And I would always go to collegiate nationals because I just kind of saw the young guys. I'd always go there and just try to see the up-and-comers and try to, you know, pick some guys. I think, I think that's where I met you. And it, Joe, what a collegiate 2010 collegiates, yeah. So, and I, it's just like that, you mm-hmm. know. But I know Oleg, um, it, I'll tell you a little bitty story about him. It was probably like 2000, maybe six or seven. And Wade was lifted against him at 165. Okay. Um, and I, I knew where we had to do and where we had to be to kind of push him. And I did the same thing with Caleb in, in 2006. So I, that was afterwards. That was probably, probably Wade was like seven or something like that. So, um, and I told Larry, and I, w- I was with Wade, and I told Larry Maley, I said, Larry, go over next to the jury and i said his first squat's gonna be high it's, it's gonna be high i'm telling you right now it's gonna be high so i'm, I'm in there with wade and taking care of him getting him ready and stuff like that larry goes over there close to the jury table and um here comes Olick and he squats he just kills something it was you know probably seven something or something i said i don't know what it was but it was high and Larry, I, I saw, I kind of turned my head, and I 
kind of saw him kind of going towards the table, so I turned back around and waved. And um, that, that lift got overturned by the jury. He got overturned. And the reason it got overturned was Larry didn't even make it to the freaking table. There was three other coaches from other teams. That were <laughs> so Larry oh, didn't man. even get to get involved in the shit. He's going over there saying, hey, that swap was hot. You know, hey, guys, what the hell? Well, it, we didn't even have to do that shit. Now, we, we had that taken care of by, by some other guys. Yeah, so, that's funny. Uh, when we got going with um, with Caleb, and Larry had said something when I first met Caleb. When I first met Caleb, he was weighed about 145 pounds. He was 17 years old. And uh, first time I ever saw him, he opened up with 500 pounds in squat. It was uh, the NAPF up in Pittsburgh, I think it was. And um, he squatted 500, then he went like 560. And then he went 600 at, at, at 17 years old, 145 pounds. And um, I was coaching the team, and Pat Anderson was coaching the team. And I had some of the guys, Mike Nashville and a few other guys that were on my team. And Caleb ended up being on on um, Pat's team. And at, at that time, the, the world record was held by Wade Hooper. The junior world, junior world record was held by Wade Hooper was 644. At 148. So, and Wade had had that for a few years. And um, Pat goes over to the table and says, What's the world record? After Caleb squats 600 pounds, 17 years old, 145 pounds. So, 644. Okay, we'll take 645. <laughs> so, Caleb squats that. He squats 645 at 17 years old at 145 pounds with. Very, very limited gear. Probably somebody putting on some knee wraps that, you know, you put on your girlfriend the first time you put them on. <laughs> you know? I mean, he just didn't have a group of guys helping him. You know, he ended up benching 330, and I think he, I think he uh, deadlifted 540 or something like that. And um, I had been – I introduced my – oh, Larry actually introduced him to me. And I was, you know, communicating with him a little bit. And he knew Mike Mastrian a little bit. So – um, I told him, you know, I, I'd be willing to help him and stuff like that and just talk to him and stuff like that. And it, it sort of ended up where he talked to Mike and said, you know, who's this, you know, who's Sherman, you know, what, you know, can I, you know, trust him or whatever, what do you think, you know, this, that, and Mike's like, hey, Sherman, sure you need to let him help you. So <laughs> in less than five months, Caleb weighed 148. And I don't remember exactly what meet he went to, and I swear I don't remember what he squatted, and I don't remember what he deadlifted. But I know in five months we put 50 pounds on his bench. His bench went from 330 to 380 in five months. So that was just a, a little bit of story about Caleb. But we took him down in 2004 to 132, and we shouldn't have done that. And we were trying to get some team points and didn't really have our, you know, stuff together and the fact that the way that, that kind of played out, but we would have got second behind Oleg, but we were kind of trying to get to a point where we could maybe set some, you know, all-time records at one weight class and then kind of come up to the next one and kind of take it over. So after that, we kind of had to get our weight back and in, in the, the, where we needed to be and stuff like that. And that might have been 2004 or so. In 2006, and did Caleb bomb out in 2005, Cap? I don't. I uh, I think maybe on the bench. That's that's what I was thinking, and I, and I, I about I mean I almost got kicked out at me. Cause yeah, I you, you said you you threw some chairs or something. Yeah, there was <laughs> there was people screaming and yelling that Johnny, you need to throw him out, and I I, left. <laughs> I, I actually 
left the building and I was crying at the time too. I was in, I was damn near hysterical. I was so freaking mad. So, and then that's another thing about somebody being hard headed, like Brian. You know, I love Caleb, I love Brian, and people that are great are going to be hard headed, but that shouldn't have happened. And if it had been up to me, it wouldn't have happened, you know, because sometimes people, you know, want to run what they've wrong and do what they think they should do. And sometimes they can't see what's happening because they, they can't see, they can't see, you know. So, but we got Caleb ready for 2006, and um, we came in to that event. And we were going to spank Olick's ass. And I knew all we had to do was really squat with him and push him in his squat because Olick had that big deadlift. But he never, if you go back and look at, at his events and stuff like that, when he squatted less than seven, when he squatted less than seven, his deadlift would up, be up close to seven. And I knew that. And But if he squatted, you know, 720, 730, 740, you know, which he had been able to do, Kind of high, but you know he, he had had an, an ability to do that. I think in 2005 he squatted. No, it was 2004 he squatted 749. It was high, and um, I think that was the might be still be or would have been or still been the world record. So, but um, we I wanted to push him where he was, had had to squat something close to 740 because I knew he wouldn't have in the tank in the deadlift. So um, we, we we started off. And I've been criticized at this many, many times, and I don't give a shit. But um, I like opening people light, you know. And some people have the thought pattern of, oh, the Russians, they don't open up light, so let's do three lifts within 93-plus percent. I'm a dumbass. You know? <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm not really that kind of guy. So um, I'm with you on I'm that, sure. we, We've all had our moments. So, um, but I mean, so we opened up Caleb at, uh, 644 and he, he could have done that probably for five, you know? And I, and I mean, I remember, I remember Kirk St. Romain telling me when he's watching the video, when Caleb hit his second, it's like, Oh God, did they start too light? But we went 644 and I do cap. This is somebody that weighs less than 150 pounds. I'm not mm -hmm. talking about Brian Siders. Yeah. You know, or I'm not talking about Mike Mastrian or somebody that's 250 pounds, Tony Cardella or Mike Tashir or something like that. They weigh 150 pounds, you know? So we went 644, then we went straight to 688. And then I, I gave a number to, to Keller was on the, the staff and so was James Down, and he was my assistant. And I told him I wanted 722. Well, when they got over to the table, there was a rule change. Um, Maybe right around that time to where if you did like a world record or something like that, it couldn't be added to your total, the chip part of it or something like that. Mm -hmm. There was something to do with that. I can't remember exactly, but the world record at the time was like seven, was some guy, it was 716 or something. Well, I can't remember. What I it think was. it was Sherman. I think it's because since he was attempting a junior world record at right. an open meet, they weren't going to give him the chip. Right, and that, that's that's what that's what I was yeah. saying, and that was IPF. So, so we got over there. They got over there, and him and James were kind of in an argument or something because I guess they got over there and decided to change the attempt that I freaking gave them. <laughs> and then I heard somebody scream back over me and was like, "Turn, you know, seven, seven. I was like, "Hell no!" I was like, "I want seven twenty-two." You know, I was mean, like, "That's what the hell I want," <laughs> and it pushed Owen 
to a squat like 733 or 739. And um, Caleb just, you know, I think Caleb that day could have squatted 33 or 39. You know, yeah. I mean, he had the strength to do that for sure. That's 22. Wasn't that shit looked that. easy. There's video of it. <laughs> and um, so we, we went back and there's some other little stuff in there on the bench stuff that, you know, I don't want to get into so much, but um, we missed our opener. And it was just kind of a technical thing. And um, so we kind of made a little bit of changes and stuff and didn't really get what we wanted to get, you know, to kind of get where we needed to be. Mm-hmm. So um, so we ended up going, I think, 450-something on a second. And Caleb had hit four, three singles with 470 in the gym during training that were just easy. I mean, it was just stupid. So um, – I knew he had probably 85 or 90, and I knew we were going to need close to that. So I was just like, man, we just, you know, we came to win. We're going to win second no matter what. So let's just go 485, you know. And some people don't think that way. You know, think any way you want to think, you know, whatever. Um, So we come out, and he goes to the the platform. And honest to God, this freaking retard that was giving the damn liftoffs comes out. And just about right at where his mouth was, started letting go of the bar. And I started screaming at that dude, out, 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 to try to bring, get him to bring the bar out to him a little bit further. And we had time on the clock. And if I had to do it over again, I'd have had him re-rack it because it just took him forever to get it out. And he kind of hung it out his shoulders and he had to bring it out by himself another couple inches like this shit. Yeah, it's not fun. He started down on it. He said he felt like the ceiling was kind of collapsing on him. And I think he was just kind of, sometimes I'm sure it'll kind of make you, you just don't get your breath and you kind of yeah. start whacking out a little bit. Well, he got it about halfway up and missed it. And that was the end of the meet for us, basically. If he'd have hit that 45, we'd have had Owen's ass. We would have had his ass. <laughs> well, you always, you always told me that, you know, it, you probably scared Oleg a little bit because Caleb was so young at the time. That uh, Oleg didn't want to stay down at 148. You know where he went the next year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He he, he ran like a chicken shit. He got got the hell out of Dodge. Yeah, he got lucky. He got lucky that Caleb left powerlifting. I I promise you the plan plan for next year was for Caleb to go 1840 to 1850. Going like 749, 4... 95 ish because they changed the rules of the bench a little bit and then probably somewhere in the low 600s mm-hmm. and he would have crushed it. Yeah. Crushed, or whoever showed up, he would have crushed whoever they would have been. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I think what we kind of want to end on is something more general like, um, you know, powerlifting today, it, it's a lot different than it was even when you started Team Quest and even when I joined Team Quest with, uh, you know, Malik and, and John and and Brooks, like you know, eight years ago. Um, what do you think about the popularity of raw lifting, the culture of lifting, and kind of like where it's going today? Uh, you know, you can say good and bad about anything, and I guess the thing that I really have a detest for is people that think there are, and and, and I mean there are some guys. Oh my God, you know. 
Ray Williams, he's, he's freakish. Well, I know sure. you have a but, you, you have a good relationship with Dennis Cornelius too. That's like, and that's exact. That was exactly one of the guys I was going to bring up. You know, and I mean, I helped Dennis for a while, and, and I'm not saying that I've, you know, I've been, I'm Dennis Cornelius's coach or anything like that. But I contacted him just like I've contacted lots of people. You being one of them and stuff like that, and and talked and. And Dennis had done a couple of meets, and I, I was kind of on the down low, and he had done a, maybe one USA field meet out in Oklahoma. And I was like, who in the hell is this guy? So I called the Oklahoma State chair and say, hey, dude, I, I want this guy's information, so I, I want to talk to him. So in a period of time, you know, I got to know Dennis pretty well and really kind of convinced him to kind of come and lift in the USA field. And he came to Georgia several times, and he loves Josh, you know, mm-hmm. Josh's meets. Yep. You know, he's been here. He actually lifted against James. And James, James ended up winning, you know. And, James whooped and his ass. About, <laughs> right. And you know why James ended up winning? Because I was coaching James. Right. <laughs> 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 but, uh, and Dennis was, honest to God, no bullshit. Dennis was trying to pay me to coach him. He was mm. trying to pay me to coach him. And yeah. I was just like, dude, I can't, you know. So, and that's, that's the honest to God, true story. Even though I helped him a little bit, I didn't help him enough to win. Yeah. <laughs> but well, when I started helping Dennis just a little bit, you know, just, just a quick story. His deadlift was probably in the low sevens. And just, we always break lifts down in thirds. Always have, always will. You know, top, middle, bottom, every lift. A lot of coaches don't do that. I don't know many that do. And then I use assistance exercises for whichever part of your lift is weak. Whatever that is, you know, it could be, uh, half a dozen things and cap you know i'm a shrug freak yeah so, you know and, it, and it's just something that i learned in time you know that that helped me you know first time i ever tried to pull 600 it was back when i was in college and i got about mid thigh started shaking and trembling and shit <laughs> passed out over the freaking bar passed out over the bar and was woke up somebody pouring ammonia down my nose well I started doing shrubs and I never missed another lift that got above my knees ever. And it would get, it was easier. So, and you know, some of the stuff with Dennis, you know, I incorporated shrubs into some of his training and just a couple other things. And Dennis is the kind of person that if you give him something, dude, he just goes eight wild with the shit, you know, I'm shrugging 5,000 for 50 reps now. I'm, you know, I mean, he just goes great. So, but within, Within six months, his deadlift moved probably sixty to eighty pounds yeah. in in six in six months. So I mean, there's things to be said, but I'll, I'll get back to what you said. But the thing that really is kind of, I guess, really kind of mind-boggling, and I'll, and I'll give you this little story. I'm mean, we're getting really long, but that's all right. Was we got time. There, yeah. was there was something that, and maybe we'll have to put this in two different sections or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, I've done that with Brian before. Um, there was, there was a group of guys, and I was told this by an official, you know, a USAP official. There was a group of guys in South Carolina you know, a couple of years ago that were, you know, younger guys, and they were talking. And, and the, the conversation broke down into the point of who's the greatest powerlifter to ever come out of South Carolina? Who's the greatest powerlifter to ever come out of South Carolina? And I'll ask you that, guys, and I'm not expecting you to know because you're not from freaking South Carolina. But Well, does Jen yeah. Thompson live in South Carolina? She's, she lives in North Carolina. Ah, all right. <laughs> then I don't know. Yeah. Okay. It, uh, Dan, uh, 
Oh, I didn't know he was from South Carolina. I know Dan Austin. South Carolina. And get this, guys. Dan was at the freaking meet. Dan's (laughs) at the meet, and these guys are talking about who's the greatest South Carolina powerlifter of all time. He doesn't even come up. And Dan's at the freaking meet. It's like, dude, are you freaking retarded? You know, it's just like, come on. You know, are there some bad bad dudes in raw lifting? Hell yes. Dennis Cornelius being one. You know, Atwood guy, that that dude's good. A Reary guy. I mean, there's some yeah. dudes that are really bad. But I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this: I had a conversation. You know, I think Atwood's like one of the biggest squatters at the 160. Yeah, class. he. I think he has the world record squat at 165. It's like 620 something. You know? yeah, yeah, it's like 628. I think. Yeah, 628. Okay. Uh, what What do you think? Uh, I, I mean, I talked to Gene Gene about this. What do you think, Gene? Squatted raw at 165. Probably 700. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if Caleb was 165, no doubt he would squat 650 raw if he ever got that heavy. Caleb would have been in the the position to have to do it. And then Caleb's, it's just like Bob Hayes. Caleb's like Brian. It's like if you put that out in front of him and you have that competition, he's going to do it. It's mm-hmm. like you put Bob Hayes in today's time, he'll run with all these fools. I promise you this. He ran on a cinder track and ran an eight six, eight six <laughs> hundred meters in a four hundred meter leg. That's the fastest hundred meter leg of all time. Yeah. The fastest on cinder track. That's the fastest leg of a four hundred meter of all time. Of yeah. all time. And the, and the dude, it's just like John Cook. You think you put John Cook, or you put Mike Bridges, you put Gene Bell, and and, and let me throw out a couple other names that that are not really just known that much. Do you guys know who uh, Rick Gogler is? No. Rick no. Gogler, back in like 1982, which gear back then was damn near literally nothing. And and this is something that I remember from Powerlifting USA because. You know, you get Powerlifting USA back in the day. If you're a Powerlifter, you got Powerlifting USA. And that was one thing about good about Powerlifting back then is because you had the history come to you every month. The history came to you every month. And you got to see the results. And you got to see what people did. And Rick Gogler, go, go look at the all-time list at 165 in single-ply gear and raw and equipped and stuff like that. At 165, the guy squatted 7 Probably in probably damn near raw, probably in some wraps. He benched 451 and he pulled 716 at 165. Damn. You think them fools could do that shit now? <laughs> it's like, give me a freaking break. They don't know who that is. They Man. don't know who that is. I don't even know who that is, so that's pretty bad. But it, do you think there's a reason for you why you uh, still kind of like you help out me and Vang and Brooks? And, and Dobbins and a bunch of other lifters, and we're all single-ply. We're, we're trying to go to Worlds every year and win a World Championship equipped. Do you think there's a reason why you prefer to help out the single-ply guys over the raw guys still, or is it just because that's what you've been doing for the last 30 years? I think it's more than that. I think that's a big, big part of that because in my mind, you know, lifting kind of got bastardized with multiply gear. I mean, it, it just went so far off. 
and then high squats and all this kind of shit. You see these all time foes, they're garbage. They're freaking garbage. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll say stuff, you know, and I'm not trying to insult any guy that's raw. I, I just, I feel like it's an insult to the people that came before him. It's an insult to Rick Gogler. It's an insult to Gene Bell. It's an insult to Lamar Gant. You show me a 132 guy right now that can raw deadlift, you know, 600, whatever, you know, I, I mean, you know, okay, let, let me ask you this. Uh, and, and I, gosh, I'm just going crazy. Um, <laughs> the way the thing started, I'll try to answer your question first. I'm sorry. Um, that's the way I started and that's the way I lived it. And it was, it was interesting to me as well because you know, the gear gave it another kind of realm and the fact of what you had to know and what you had to perfect and the knowledge that you needed and just trying your best to know the gear as best you could to help each lifter to perform as best they could, you know? And I mean, there's lifters that I won't bring up names and I've said this many times. If I'd have had them in my gym, they would have done stuff that nobody would have ever seen in the history of the freaking world, you know, <laughs> and, and just the fact of being able to help them with the stuff that maybe just one part of it was your nutrition, right? Was your recovery, right? Was your training, right? Was your gear, right? Did you have all that, right? You know, when Caleb comes down to Georgia and he lives with me, he lives at my house and I'm not saying I made Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams was bad as shit before I ever met Caleb Williams, you know, and the fact of he came to a point to where he, he learned about nutrition. He learned about ice baths. He learned about massage. He learned about chiropractic, you know, and how far you take that. I mean, Caleb has went to another realm. And the fact, Alex, you know that Caleb did Olympic lifting as well? No, I didn't know that. Well, Peach knows yeah, a I lot know about that, Caleb, yeah. but Alex mm -hmm. doesn't know. Yeah. Okay. And, and I mean, that's, dude, I'm not trying to insult you at all. But that is part of what's wrong with powerlifting today is people just don't have knowledge of what's in, in, in a few years back, Caleb had, you know, before they bastardized the damn weight classes, uh, Caleb had the drug tested IP or USAPL American record in the squad at 148 at 722. He had the bench record at seven, uh, excuse me, 474. He deadlifted over 600 pounds. He had the total record at 1769. And at the same time, at the same time, and USA weightlifting, Caleb had the clean and jerk American record, and he had the total world record at the same time. So, <laughs> you know, that, that's the kind of thing that people just can't comprehend. That there's people like that out there. And, you know, ask some of these guys that are lifting to now, do they know who Caleb Williams is? They probably look at you like, what? Who? What? Yeah. I don't know who that is. I think and, it's just there, there's been such a large influx of new lifters and uh, so much stuff going on on the internet that it's just nobody will take the time to look at these lifters, you know? And that's kind of why we started this podcast. We talk about the history a lot. So. And that in itself, in the single ply stuff, I just feel like that kind of goes over, you know, right when I first started powerlifting in like the early 80s, we had a squat suit that was 
if it was as good as the damn singlets these guys are wearing nowadays, it wasn't much. I mean, if you put it on tight, you blow the ass out of it. They weren't very good. <laughs> the knee wraps were borderline, you know, ace bandages. You tore, if you, the first pair of knee wraps I had in the early 80s, if you pulled them too tight, they'd rip, you know. So what, you, what people did back, you know, say pre-88, so, I mean, gear took kind of generational kind of steps, maybe the early 90s, late 80s, and then it really took a step in the late 90s when, when Titan brought out the gear that didn't really stretch. And it was kind the of The dual like, quad. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the knit polyester fabric that it's got bulletproof tensile strength, mm-hmm. where IPF rules for years and years and years, they had a 50% rule. And it was something in the fact of your material had to stretch a certain amount or it wasn't accepted as a, a piece of gear to be approved. And then when Titan got that stuff approved, then that was just the next step. And then, and then the next step after that, about three or four years later, they made the material thicker, you know. And it just kind of kept going with that. And honest to God, you know, Pete Alanese has done an unreal amount of stuff for powerlifting. He's a, a great dude. So is John Enzer. You know, John Enzer has sponsored zillions of people and sponsored zillions of, of, of uh, world championship teams and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so is Pete. But they almost screwed themselves in the fact of, okay, they took the gear better and better and better and better. And it was just almost to the point to where there were people going to the gym. And I think what happened, it kind of, went away it's like i can do and i've had people tell me this countless people that lifted in gear years ago and were badass world champions were like i can lift by myself raw in my basement or in my garage but i gotta have a clan or a gang or a team to, to <laughs> like do quest this. yeah <laughs> i mean and that's one of the things that i always thought that i my favorite thing in powerlifting in my whole life probably besides maybe the arnold was the collegiate nationals, because there's nothing that you can go to with the concept of the team mm-hmm. that's like collegiate nationals. And those guys just support each other and yell and scream and go crazy and help each other and every day and push each other and just, just do it the way it needs to be done. And that's the way when I did the Arnold, the first thing that I did was incorporate a team concept. And because I knew it would be exciting because, and it would, you would have unity in a group of guys to help each other and have cap- captains and, and have coaches that were there to help them and have that concept of teams competing because that's what really makes Powerlifting great. Just like what I wanted to do with Team Quest was give that part where I was available to guys to be able to help them. And me, I wish we could go back to gear around, say, 1995 to 2000. And just stop right there, and, and and not have the multiply crazy stuff that mm-hmm. you have to put a thousand pounds on your back to, you know, to, to get to maybe close to parallel. I mean, it's just like I remember Jeff Lewis telling me, and I mean Jeff's a good guy. He lifted at one of my quest meets, and got injured, which he's just a superhuman being. I love the dude, and he lifted in the WPO for a while, and he said the first time he got some of those suits, he was like. Dude, 900 pounds was like, you know, four inches above parallel. It's like, what? You know, <laughs> I, I can't even force myself down. Yeah. You know, and I mean, what is that? You know, there's some people like Goggins. Now, that that's a legit dude that wasn't wearing a canvas suit and squatted 
some inhuman stuff in a, you know, basically an, an insert type gear that wasn't canvas and stuff. There's, there's been some guys who legitimately do that, but when you get so far, and I think, honestly, that's why Rob took over. And I think the gear manufacturers have to accept some of the responsibility because they made gear so good that back when I lifted, you could lift in gear four or five weeks before the meet and you were fine. You didn't, you didn't have to get, you know, wear a bench press shirt 10 times and try to get to your chest and try to get to this board and get to that board. And it wasn't mm-hmm. like that. You know, I mean, you might got, you know, 20, what, what we back in the day would say, you know, a bench press shirt would do, if you could touch and go something in a bench press shirt, you could probably pause it. Yeah. That, that's about what you were getting. And I mean, people understand that. And the raw guys today, if all the raw guys were brought up in that, they they would have been doing the same thing everybody else would do. Well, doing. they 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 wear their knee sleeves so tight just to try and get oh. some poundage. I'm sure you know if you gave them a Z suit, they would be like, "Oh, that's pretty cool," you know. But the oh, yeah. the, the oh, fact of the matter is, people just don't have Z suits anymore. And and I feel lucky because in 2008, when I started, I got a Z suit and just some regular I and Z wraps, and like so I and I had a blast shirt, and so I kind of know how the gear was. And, and I, I didn't start right off in the crazy gear, but I can tell you, like, I always had the knack for gear and you know that like oh, yeah. it, it even matter loose gear, tight gear. I do wear my shit crazy and get a lot out of it. But even when I had a Z suit and wraps, I was still getting 150 pounds on my squat. And I just know a lot of people won't do that, but I just always had a feel for it. you know. So I wouldn't mind if it went back to it. <laughs> I said I wouldn't mind if it went back that way because I think I'd still I'd still be good in that equipment. I I really felt like, and and I remember, and we brought up Dennis Cornelius when I when I first started talking to Dennis. The very first thing that I did was send Dennis some wraps. That's the very first thing (laughs) because in my mind, you know, I'm a single ply dude, and I want Dennis lifting on Team Quest at the World Championship single ply and smoking some ass. I mean, that's what the hell I want, you know? And I knew he was a guy that had the potential to do that. Yeah. And the first thing I did is like, hey, Dennis, I'm going to send you some wraps, man. Just try them out and see how you like it, you know? And, dude, if you get somebody on wraps, then that that's that's your end right there. Because, I mean, how many people have put on a pair of knee wraps and said, man, this shit sucks? You know? <laughs> it's like, it, it's just, you know, you, you put them on, it makes you feel secure, it makes you feel more confident, and it makes you... And my number one rule in powerlifting that I've said a thousand times in my life, and James can probably can say it right now, is more like, aggressive. More gear, more aggressive. More mm-hmm. gear, more aggressive. Now, some people do that, and some people don't do that. But in my opinion, it's like you put on some wraps, you got to be a little bit more aggressive. Put on bottoms, you got to be a little bit more aggressive. Put on the, you know, put the straps up, got to be a little bit more aggressive. You want to get there, you know, you got to be a little bit more aggressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, watch. Brian lift and watch me from the side in any any meet that I'm there. And what am I saying? What be aggressive. Saying? Be you aggressive. Can it, you, you can hear it in the video. <laughs> Kill it, Brian! <laughs> I mean, I mean, damn freaking go hard as shit. Oh, don't worry. I got and some videos of me with you in the background too doing that. <laughs> and, and it's a, it's just you know it's just what it is, you know. And just trying to get people to you know enjoy it. And, and use it for what, how it's intended, and and did we get better and better at using gear? And here, here's something right here. I ask uh, Gene. Gene's been lifting since the '70s, and I ask him, 
Jim, when was the first time you ever got your knees wrapped? And he said, like, the mid-80s, okay? Well, in 88, Gene went 843, uh, 523, and 744 at 181, and nobody has done that. It's in 88, 98, 08, 18. We can figure that pretty damn fast, can't we? You know? Yeah. It, it, it's just, you know, craziness. Yeah. I, the year that he was looking in back then was literally nothing. I mean, I always thought too, like, you know, when I wanted to start powerlifting, I wanted to stay drug free. And so USAPL was a great avenue for that. And I was in college and collegiates was like the coolest thing I ever saw, like you. So like I agreed when I went to collegiates uh, with one other guy from my school in 2008, um, you were probably there with Malik. But, uh, you know, then I was like, we got to start a team because we need a freaking team. So the next year I showed up with 13 kids. The next year we showed up with 30 kids. You know what I mean? Um, but at the same time, wanted to stay drug free. The single ply was really attractive to me, not knowing anything about powerlifting because it brought it to the next level without having to be on steroids. It's like, I want to lift more. I want to do cool shit, but I don't want to be on drugs. And I felt like the single ply was like the cool part about powerlifting to me and that everybody lifts raw, right? But you want to be a powerlifter, yeah. you got to do this. It's a whole different dimension. So that's... Yeah. Really, why I've always stayed single ply, and you know, I, I probably will never go, never really go back on that. So, well, one of the things that that you're talking about, some of the stuff with single ply and and training and about powerlifting and just the uh, essence or whatever. I mean, back in the late, uh, or no, early '90s, early mid '90s, I really kind of saw that you weren't going to get strong out of this anymore. So. And, and, and be, you know, taking younger guys and getting them involved in the sport and saying, hey, guys, let's do this the right way. You know, and that, that's one of the reasons that I kind of got involved with USAPL because you got these, you know, gutless, soulless people that bitch about everything, and then you got people that step, step up and do something. And I'm mm -hmm. talking about volunteering and running meets and this and that. And, I mean, I could have stood on the sideline. I mean, before I even got involved in the USAPL, I was taking kids to NASA. Because it was drug tested. And that was back in the early mid-90s. And it was just like, well, this is drug tested. I went to Junior Nationals, NASA, in Arizona and took some guys. I, I went to their um, uh, Teenage Nationals, I think, in Texas and, and smoked some of their records with, with Matt Golden. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's a nice little story. Yeah. But, and I mean, drug test us, man. That's what we're here to do. You know, And, and I just felt like that. We need to do, and that's one of the reasons I started Quest Nutrition because I just felt like we got to learn supplementation better because supplements, and I, Joe, I know you know, I mean, I know you know, love hardcore, <laughs> and I mean, Dan Austin will sit up here and tell you that, that that's the greatest supplement that's ever been made on planet Earth. You yeah. 10-time IPF world champion, okay? So, um, and, and he has, I mean, Dan's been a strength coach at South Carolina for two decades, and he has athletes call me all the time, German Olsen Hardcore. Okay, how'd you hear about us? My coach is Dan Austin. Um, I, I, don't know how many, I don't know how many conversations that I've had like that. My coach is Dan Austin, Olsen Hardcore. My That's coach awesome. is Dan Austin, Olsen Hardcore. My coach is Dan Austin, Olsen Hardcore. You know, and I mean, there's other products out there that do well, protein supplements, branch chain amino acids. The Jack Stack's a good product. We're going to start getting back into the supplement stuff more here soon and trying to get going with that, the economy kind of knocked my dick in the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been rough. It's the been a rough year. 
Well, it's not even that. I'm talking about like the late 80s. Oh, you know, I, I see. Kinda, when I kind of had to kind of bow out of being the world coach and stuff like that because my, my business really took a hit, you know, and or I guess I'm maybe saying that wrong, whatever year that was. So, um, but we're trying to kind of get it ramped back up. I've been waiting for this guy to get here today, some sensation so he can help me, man. I just, I need some help. So I had some good help in the past. Jeff, Jeff Robinson was one of the guys that really enabled me to do a lot of the stuff. I did for you guys. Yeah. Well, I loved when I loved when Brooks used to work for you. I used to just call him oh, and get what I needed. <laughs> that, and that, that was that was awesome too, because I mean you talking about somebody that can hold a lot of information and help me with programming stuff and it's like Brooks, I wanna I wanna do this bench press concept like this and he bring it back in a week and he'd have a template set up. I just put a number in and go, yeah. like, oh yeah, I can do a bunch of these now instead of taking me 45 minutes. It takes me 45 seconds. Yeah. You know? So, but, uh, he was a, a, a big asset here when he was here. I wish he'd have been here a little bit longer because it would have been, 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 things would have been different for sure. So, yeah, he went to go work some desk job, but, um, so we've had you for like two hours, Sherman. I think we got enough stories from you. It's been awesome. I think people are going to love the stories about Gene and Caleb and Brian. Um, so that was awesome. Um, I miss you, man. I'll be down there soon. I know this summer was tough with this COVID stuff, but uh, we we got to do we got to do it like we used to soon. Yeah, it was really a pleasure. You gotta be there, man. I need you. <laughs> Absolutely, you got it. I don't. Fuck, we might drive. So thanks for taking the time to do this. I know you probably haven't done this a lot, um, so we appreciate it. I think people need to hear uh, about your stories and who Sherman Ledford is, and definitely check out uh, Sherman's website, which you can see behind him. Um, check out some supplements and equipment, especially if you're building a home home gym. Hit Sherman up. Yeah, that hardcore is delicious. <laughs> I mean, if you guys like uh, powerlifting shoes, the the bath shoes are the best. BAF I still shoes. wear mine. They're <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I tell you, I, I really almost had to kind of step away from so many things, just limited with time and and just money and stuff like that at times. But we're getting in a better way right now, and hopefully we can kind of take some steps. I, I'd like to get back to just being at Nashville all the time. I, I don't know how many collegiates I went to in a row, but it was probably – Oh my god, fifteen maybe. Yeah, I remember. I remember when you told me you weren't coming to collegiates uh, when we had it up in Rhode Island, and I was like, "Damn, man, that's the end of her era." Because you know, even later on, when Preston and Ian and Charles were lifting um, for Texas, I know you were always there, support those guys. But you know, it it definitely has changed. Being, uh, I'm still coaching with Northeastern, and it's it's mostly a raw meat now, and it's not. You know, Malik Durstein is not walking through the door anytime soon. <laughs> you know, so there's not those freaks just aren't there. But uh, yeah, so we'll let you go. It's been awesome. Tell Jane we said hello and we miss you guys. Yeah. You as well, man. Love all you guys, man. I appreciate what you do. Just keep on keeping it real. Yeah, we're gonna get some, we're gonna get some training in right now. So. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna eat then we're gonna train. All right, man. <laughs> yeah. Vang, I'll talk to you later. See you guys. Yes, sir. All right, man. Thanks for this. Bye. Absolutely.